Hello and welcome to Hope Community Church, Helensburgh. We're a new church with a desire to bring our hope in Jesus Christ to the people of Helensburgh and beyond and live as a community shaped by the gospel. If you live in Helensburgh or are just passing through, we'd love you to join us sometime. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.15 at the Helensburgh and Lowman Civic Centre. But now, here's the latest sermon from Hope Community Church, Helensburgh. You can find the Bible references and more information in the episode notes. Our reading today uh, continues our study in Galatians and chapter 3. And we're going to read from Galatians 3 and verse uh, 15. Uh, last week we were seeing how um, how everyone, uh, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, how Jesus uh, became a curse for us so that we uh, could have life. And we, we began to see that it is by faith um, that we are saved, not by the things uh, that we do, not by self uh, reliance and, and really we're continuing that about a bit and our passage today is about uh, law uh, and promise which hopefully we'll have uh, a better understanding of over the next 25 minutes or so but Galatians 3 uh, verse 15 to give a human example brothers even with a man-made covenant no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Well, we're around the middle of uh, Galatians now. Don't worry if you've uh, missed any uh, or anything like that. But this is a passage that can be difficult uh, to understand. Maybe as I read it and you read it off the screen, uh, it seemed a little complex, a little uh, alien to our ears with talk of law and promise and it seemed quite historical, didn't it? Abraham, 430 years, the law being given. But contained here is the incredibly good news of the gospel of freedom from being bound to work our way up to God. The, The good news that we are loved by God 
that he rescues us by his grace, that he freely gives us forgiveness and salvation, because that is what he has promised. And that can be hard for us to accept, to understand, because in most things in life, we're used to working hard. We're used to doing things. We're used to striving for, uh, for our work. You know, you've got to, to climb the ladder. Our goal is usually to work hard to get to the next level, a promotion, a pay rise, becoming the boss even, perhaps, and so on. And sometimes we and others might think that this is what Christianity is a bit like. Uh, and sometimes that's how we live it, if we're honest. Uh, and most religions follow that kind of thinking. You must do this. Uh, you must be good. You must do these rituals uh, and so on if you're going to be saved. Uh, and it's the same outside of religion. Even if you are completely irreligious, we, people probably live in the same way, not labelling it in such a way, but it's, it's being good. It's having the right opinions. Uh, that I can be a good person if I do the right things. Uh, and people think there's freedom to be found in that, that we can make ourselves into, into something. But Galatians, and the, the whole Bible really, is a book about the, the freedom that comes from being a Christian, that from being a follower of Jesus. It can be hard to see that sometimes. It can be hard for us to live in that freedom because by default what we want if we're honest is we want to live in a way where the results are verifiable where we can check some boxes can do the right thing and then we'll be all right we like to measure our, our progress our our success in most things in life and that can be a very good thing but when it comes to god we can't measure that we are enslaved if we try and do that what we need is faith in Jesus, because religion in the in the more common understanding, well, it gives us an illusion of control, and that's really what we want a lot of the time. We want to be in control. We like to be in control. Uh, we don't like to be at the centre. Uh, and religion often gives us a place to make ourselves the centre, to make ourselves important, uh, where we can do all the right things. But what that does, it enslaves us. We're controlled by these things. We have to do them or we're not good people. And you can see that's controlling us. That's driving our decisions. That's making us do uh, whatever it might be. And that's exactly how the Old Testament Jews lived. They were controlled by the law. That is what drove their lives. That is what motivated them. And if they didn't keep it, they couldn't be a good person. And what they'd done is they'd forgotten that God worked on promise, that he had promised them that they would be a great nation, that they would have land. We sang about it in Psalm 105, that they would, um, that they would be in a, in a place where God would be their God and that they'd be safe. But what they'd done is they'd forgotten that and they'd got caught climbing the ladder, jumping through the hoops. Uh, and they weren't living in freedom. Uh, and it's true for anyone. What controls us isn't freedom, even if people think they have that. It's really living for the majority view, for the opinions of others, for an ideology. We live for things like a, a, a legacy when we're gone, a good bank balance, a luxury car, a good house, a perfect family. We take good things and we make them the ultimate so we can feel in control when really these are the things that are controlling us uh, and making, uh, motivating us. They're in control. And what we need is not what we do, 
but we need what God promises. We need what God gives. We need Jesus himself as the the centre of our lives, as the thing that, that motivates us, the person that motivates us, because nothing else will give us true freedom. Nothing else will give us real hope in this world. Uh, Nothing else will set us free from having to keep lots of commands and laws. Uh, A man called Tim Keller said this, no family will always be there. No talent will always be there. Your looks will uh, certainly will not always be there. Whatever it is you put your anchor down into, if it's circumstance, it's like putting it into the water. Everything but the promise of God is water. And that's what Paul understands, as he, and he desperately wants his reserves to understand too. Everything else is water. It can't, can't hold us. It doesn't work. It shifts. And he wants us to understand that they are saved by God's promise, that it's what God says, that it's what God does that will rescue him, and that they have misunderstood why the law is there, why the Ten Commandments were there, why so much of the Old Testament was there. So what I want to see is just two very broad headings, the promise and then the law. That's what Paul's talking about. And and the promise is what God gives. The promise is what saves. And Paul begins verse 15 with an illustration to make this point. He speaks of a human example uh, and he talks about a man-made covenant. And really, to translate it more accurately, what you would say is it's a, a will or testament. And we know the idea of that. And what he's saying is that will or testament can't be changed. It can't be added to or annulled once it's been ratified. And obviously we can change our wills, but uh, some ancient laws had these things being set in stone even while the person was alive. But regardless, there becomes a point where a will is, is ratified, where it can't be changed. And so that what Paul is saying is that what God promises, it, it's something that can't be changed. And and maybe we need a little bit of history here so we can understand what's going on before we see what it means today. So Moses was given the law, the Ten Commandments, tablets of stone um, uh, in the book of Exodus. You can read about it. But over 400 years before, Abraham had met with God and God made what we call a covenant with him. He made promises. Abraham was was old, he was childless, his his wife was old as well, past uh, the age of of having children. But God promised him offspring, that he would be the father of a great nation of many people. He said, as many as the stars in the heaven, and that they would have their own land, Israel, uh, and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his offspring. And, and, And last week we saw a little bit of that. And you can read it in Genesis 15. And it was here that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, that that being saved is by faith, not by anything that we do. And so the law comes after, but it didn't supersede it. It didn't replace it. Promise takes precedence. And, And this promise, as we just saw, it was these physical things. It was descendants. It was land. But Paul's explaining that this is a a, a spiritual thing, a a supernatural thing as well, that it still applies. There is still a people of God, not focused in Israel, but wherever uh, wherever churches are, wherever God's people are. There is a land for God's people, but it's in the future, that it's a, a new heavens and a new earth. 
the promise is that we have an inheritance from God. The will has been made and we have an inheritance from God that we will be his people, he will be our God, that we have Christ, that we will live forever um, with him in heaven. And the promise is that Jesus has come and he has rescued us, that we are forgiven, that we are his people, that we belong to him and he will never let us go. That was the promise to Abraham that he believed. And that is the promise that still applies and yet has found a far greater fulfillment and meaning through Jesus, who, as we'll see, is the offspring. God hasn't changed the way that he works. He, the promise that he gave still applies and that we are saved by faith in him, that we are given these things, not because of anything that we do, but because God gives them. And that is the key. It's what God promises, not what we perform. But this is a, is a permanent thing, as we've just said. Um, it doesn't get annulled. Nothing gets taken away. And, and that's important because you would see the, the sort of chronological thing, wouldn't you, and see promise, then law. Oh, law must have replaced promise. And you know the expression, someone's moving the goalposts. Um, you know, they're changing things after the fact. Or maybe uh, you remember Darth Vader, I am altering the deal. Pray, I do not alter it further. And that's sometimes what people kind of uh, think uh, about this with, with God. And it seems to be what some Jewish people thought. You know, okay, God gave the promise, but then he gave the law, and that's how we're supposed to live. But no, it's a permanent thing. He doesn't change. That's why he's giving this man-made example in verse 15, this will, this testament that hasn't changed. It can't be changed. And that's important because we need to recognize that God will never accept us more. God will never love us more. God will never give us more because of how we perform, because of the things that we do. And it's not that our good works are, are, are unimportant, but they are not what makes us valuable to God. They are not what makes God love us. He hasn't changed. He, uh, as with Abraham, who simply believed, it is the same for us. All we must do is trust in Jesus. There is nothing else for us to do. He has not changed. We're loved by him because he is love. We can't manipulate him by our, our good work. Because that's really what we're trying to do when we're saying, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then God will love me. Then I'll be a good Christian. Then I'll be a good follower of Jesus. We're trying to manipulate God. And we, we laughably think that we can, we can twist him round our finger. No, God accepts us as we are. Just as I am, without one plea, he accepts us and he has not changed. It's so easy for us to live in, in that way, trying to think we can add more and more, that we can make God love us more. But he's already promised us acceptance, forgiveness, love, a land, to be one of his people through Jesus. That's all that we need. And this promise is about Jesus. Verse 16 says that the promise was made to one offspring. Yes, every Christian still benefits, but it's centered around one person. We, we know what it's like to have a, a representative, don't we? You know, we have an MP, an MSP, whatever else. We vote for people to represent us. And this is something that's so much more. Jesus is who it's about. He, he in a sense, represents us. He is the, the offspring, the one who was promised, the one who was going to save everyone, who was going to make uh, a blessing not just for Israel but for everyone and having a blessing having God's blessing is basically being in, uh, in God's favour and, and being in that right relationship with him and so 
Paul's saying, you know, the Jews had been narrowly focused ethnically on the children of Abraham is, is kind of what they called themselves. But Paul is making the point is that the children of Abraham, children of the promise, those who are God's people, to put it more simply, are those who have trusted in the offspring, who have trusted in Jesus himself. There's no biological requirements. It is not genetics. It is grace. It is faith in Jesus that counts. Uh, and so Paul's emphasizing uh, that we need to be one with Jesus. To be part of his people, um, we need to, to have faith in Jesus as he is the offspring. It is his people who are the people of God. And that's how closely we're incorporated with Jesus. Paul describes us in other places being in Christ. That we're one with him, in other words. He doesn't simply represent us, but he joins himself to us so that we share in that forgiveness in that belonging as one of God's people. And so what we're saying is it's all about Jesus and it is faith in him that we need. Without him, the whole thing falls apart. And when we belong to Jesus, in other words, when we have placed our faith in him, then the promise belongs to us. Then we become one of God's people. Then we have the hope of, of heaven, of, of, of new earth, of eternal life. And again, you're seeing it's not anything that we do, but it's all about what God does. The thing that Paul is saying is God is doing it all. The thing that we need most in this world isn't to lift ourselves up, isn't to try and fight our way to be one of God's people. It's to give up and to put our faith in Jesus instead, uh, to trust in him. And we're even described as, you know, the whole church is described as being the bride of Jesus, as being so closely linked to him. And, you know, we're talking about Ruth with the kids and she married. And again, that's kind of a picture, isn't it? You know, of Jesus and the church, Jesus and us, we are one with him. And so the way to enjoy God's promise is to trust in Jesus alone. And that's how we be one of his people. It is all about Jesus. That's what we need. Not ourselves, not other people. We need Jesus. And remembering that it is all a gift. The promise is a gift. When people think of law and even just the Bible in general, what your average person probably thinks is something along the lines of thou shalt, thou shalt not, especially when they hear about Ten Commandments and so on. And that's usually mocked in this day and age and in every day and age really but certainly there's still a little bit of that in the public conscience you know religion christianity it's about thou shalt thou shalt not it's about the rules and so on but the promise is very different and when these promises were made well again it was a more of a will or testament if someone makes a will as far as i know maybe you can do this nowadays i don't know there isn't conditions it's simply laying out what the person wants to happen upon um, their death. What is the inheritance that they want to leave to their family, to their friends, to whoever. I'm giving this to this person, I'm giving that to that person, and so on. They're telling people, they're, they're not asking, they're not making a deal. If you do this, I'll give you this. It's, they're just telling people, I'm giving you this, this is your inheritance. And in the same way, when God makes the promises to Abraham, it's not you will, or if you do this, but God says, I will, and I give. Again, read Genesis 
15. In other words, what we're saying is God's promises, the forgiveness that we have, the belonging that we have, it's just making the point again, they don't come from being earned or worked for. It is what God gives. So the promise comes first. It takes precedence. God gives before any law comes. There are no legal requirements. Simply that Abraham believed. If, if the law was needed, if, if our good works were needed, then even Abraham wouldn't be saved, the, the father of the, the Jewish religion, because he didn't have the law. He wouldn't be saved. And it's the same for us today. All we must do is believe. That is it. And our problem so often, and it's a big problem in our hearts, is we live, live as if this grace doesn't exist. We are filled with, well, either anxiety over our salvation, we're maybe miserable thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. It's been such a huge problem for every generation, thinking, I'm not good enough. I can't be a Christian. I'm not good enough. And really what we're doing there is we're saying, it's about me. It's about what I do. It's not about God. It's about my performance. But the message of the Bible is, no, we're not good enough. Not one of us. Not one person in here is good enough. But God gives. God says, I will. I will. That's what he says. And all we do is place our faith in him. And yet, on the other hand, and in very subtle ways sometimes, we can be filled with pride and think that, yeah, you know what? I do deserve God's love. I've spent so much of my life going to church. I've spent so much of my life serving in this way and that way. Yeah, God probably should accept me. God probably should love me. I've, I've done a lot for, for him. And then, of course, we're not reliant on what God has promised, but reliant on what we do. And, and it can be the same if we don't believe. How often have you heard people say, well, if God is there, then I've been a pretty good person, so he'll accept me because I, I'm good. And again, it's just, it's about what I do, not about what God does. And so please see that the, the promise of God that there, there is forgiveness and that there is eternal life, that, that is true freedom. And that takes away any pretense from us. It takes away any pressure from us, actually, that we must do anything to be accepted by God. Trust in Jesus is where that transformation comes. It's not that we transform ourselves but that, um, and become loved by him, but that he loves us and he works in us. Doesn't that change how we see ourselves and others? We don't see ourselves too negatively because we know we are loved by God. We are accepted despite all our faults and flaws and problems and issues. Even if everyone else rejects us, God loves us. And yet we don't see ourselves with pride either. Um, because we can't do it ourselves. We need God's gift. We're sinners. We can't fix ourselves, so we can't be too proud of ourselves either. We don't meet God's standard, no matter how others see us, no matter how we see ourselves. But what we can do is we can bask in the love and acceptance of God, knowing that he cares for us, that he loves us. And does that not change the way that we think, the way that we see others, the way that we look at others? We are no better than anyone else we are no worse than anyone else we are all in the same need of the grace of god we're all in the same need of what god has promised to do what he says he will do and that there is nothing else that we can claim there is nothing else that we can do but simply say i'm a sinner have mercy on me i need you lord that is all that we can do and so it's trusting in what god promises 
rather than what we do. That is how we are saved by him. This, this inheritance, um, as, it, as it's described in verse 18, of, of forgiveness, of belonging, of eternal life. How do we get it? Simply trusting in Jesus, trusting in that offspring, in the one who was born, a direct descendant of Abraham, the one who was born for us. There's nothing else to do. Nothing else. Simply trust in Jesus. That is it. That is how you become a Christian. That is how we are saved. But then there's verse 19. Why then the law? And that brings us to our second point, the law. Because you might think there's a whole Bible. There's a lot of laws. There's a lot of these things. Why? And the Jews would have that question. Why Why did God give the law? He did give the law to Moses. Surely the law is good. Of course it is. And so Paul explains. He says it was added because of the, the transgressions. It's not that the law contradicts what God promised. It's not that it goes against something. But it has a purpose. And let's just think about a few of these things from this passage. The first thing is it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. What it does is... It shows sin to us. It reveals our own hearts. It's like putting up a mirror to us and showing us who we really are. We may not always like what we see in the mirror, but it's an exact representation uh, of us. It reflects everything physically uh, about us, doesn't it? And what the law does, it gives us a mirror for the soul. What God's laws do is they show us who we are, even if we don't really like seeing, like what we see in that mirror. It shows us that we've broken God's laws. It shows us that we're condemned. That because we've broken them, that we must pay the price. Um, that we can't uh, take away our own guilt. And it was doing that until the offspring would come. But of course, as we've said, Jesus has come. Uh, and as we said in previous weeks, he has taken that punishment. He has taken that curse. He has, he has gone to the cross and he has taken that for us, so we can be forgiven. Uh, and so someone described the, the law as, uh, they're American, so they said the on-ramp to the gospel highway. Um, you get the idea. It's the law that gets us to the gospel. The law shows us who we are. It holds up that mirror, and it, it then points us somewhere else, as we'll see in a moment. It gets us to the gospel, because we know if we try to prove ourselves by the law, then we'll fail. But God gave the law to do the opposite. What we do is try and prove ourselves. God gave the law to do the opposite. It shows you have nothing without me. That's what God was saying through the law. You have nothing without me. You can't do it, is what he says. And the law is good. It's true. It, it represents what God wants. But it can't save us. But it can hold up that mirror and show us. It, it, it's not a pleasant thing for us. It's a, it's a harsh medicine. But it does what it needs to do. It shows us who we are. It shows us that we need Jesus. And the law is it's just not the same. And it says in, in verse 19 and 20 that it was through angels by an intermediary. Uh, and that can be hard to understand. But basically what it's saying is that the promise is better. That God gave it directly to Abraham. Because, well, the law can't give life. Uh, as, as Paul says uh, as well. Uh, verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Paul's saying it doesn't contradict. 
the law can only give life to someone who give, keeps it perfectly, which, of course, is none of us. And if anything, the law makes us worse because what we do as humans is we go against what God says. That's what we do. It couldn't and can't give life. It's going to the wrong place for our, our sustenance. Do you remember the, the, the documentary Super Size Me where that guy tried to eat McDonald's every day? I think it was for a month or however long. Um, you know, and if I remember right, by the end, he had to stop early because it was kind of destroying his liver. It was kind of destroying his body, all that junk food. Um, and living off the law, trying to get life, trying to, to be one of God's people by the law is like eating junk food every single day. Uh, it's short self-satisfaction. You know, we can tick a box and say, I've done this. Um, but long-term misery, because then we fail and um, we feel the, the after effects. Uh, living by the law is, is junk food for us. When we think we make life worth living by good works, we can appear outwardly moral. Remember in the document, the guy didn't look that different, but inside he was destroyed. Uh, and Jesus reminds us to, to, to look into the, the heart. It's there where we're shown to be lawbreakers. And the question is, what is our heart really like? Who are we really? The law can't give us life. Our good works can't give us eternal life. Only by faith in Jesus. And actually the law imprisons us. These last couple of verses um, talks about being held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed the law was our guardian until christ came and that's kind of hard for us to understand again why would why would god do it in, the, in this way but the good law that god gave us imprisoned us and, and says it had guardianship over the, the jewish people and that guardianship it was a word used for the the role of a sort of moral teacher that would live in a home a tutor, but, but not so much an educational tutor, like a, a maths tutor, but in morality, a, a kind of philosopher, moral teacher. So what, what he's saying is the law shows us what is right. The law is good. The law shows us what is good in God's eyes, what we, what we need. Um, but it can't give life. We fail. So what we're actually we're held captive by it, we're imprisoned by it, it's teaching us what is good and right, and yet, at the same time, we keep failing. Yes, the law is good. It shows us what is good. But we are so pathetic that we can't, we can't do it all. So that's why the law is there. What are we to do? It's holding us captive. It's holding us in prison, in a sense, because it's teaching us what is right, but still we can't keep it. And so we're stuck. But, but... Jesus, of course, because what the law does is points us to faith in Jesus. And we've kind of said this already, how, um, you know, the, the gospel is the, the on-ramp. Uh, the, the law is the on-ramp to the, to the highway of the, the gospel. But sprinkled through this passage is the presence of Jesus. And it's all until he comes and he changes everything. Uh, he is the offspring promise, the one who would bring that inheritance to all the one who obeyed the law perfectly who did everything right and who took the curse of death on the cross so we could be forgiven and so we need jesus because we can't keep that law it holds us captive but it couldn't hold him captive he didn't have that same guardian and so instead of relying on ourselves we turn to jesus admitting we can't keep the law we can't do it but we need him 
and we find he's the one Jesus the one that God in his grace has promised to us and so all we can do is go to Jesus the law is there the law is good but we can't keep it we can't do it all we can do is trust in Jesus because the promise is much better the promise came first the promise takes precedence and tells us that before any law that God cares for us that God loves us that God will have compassion on us that God will have mercy on us and that it's by having faith in him that we are saved by trusting by being like Abraham who um, verse 6 just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness we are saved we are saved by that can't trust in ourselves and the things that we do all we can trust in is the promise of God the promise is much better maybe you feel the, the weight of the wrong that you've done in your life I know I do much of the time all we can do is go to Jesus and find that the promise is much better if we try and do it ourselves we just spiral further and further into this this cycle of failure of maybe some success and then fail and it, it, it's miserable but the promise is much better it gives us that inheritance it gives us that hope for the future it gives us something to, to trust in, to, to be anchored in. We mentioned Tim Keller's tweet that anything else is water, that we need our anchor in Christ. We need to be um, in him. Well, Tim Keller, some of you will know, uh, a very influential pastor. He died on Friday morning, pancreatic cancer. Uh, and some of his last words were, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. That's what he could say as he passed away. And why? Because he believed the promise. He trusted in Christ. He didn't trust in himself and his own works. He trusted in Jesus. That's where his anchor was. And that's where we need to be, trusting in him. And he knew that Jesus was better. He knew that believing the promise was better than anything that he could do here. Let me just ask, what do you believe? Do you believe the promise or do you believe in yourself? Thanks for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10.15 as we meet at the Helensburgh and Lowman Civic Centre. Find out more on our website, hopehelensburgh.org.